A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. For he is not subjected to angels, the world to come that we're talking about. But someone somewhere has testified, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus, made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, He is able to help those who are tempted. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. And good to see you all. I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2 as we continue our series uh, through this uh, really glorious book, which points us to a glorious Savior. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. Now, if any of you have read uh, or um, watched uh, the two towers, either the book or the movie. Um, you know about King Theoden's all-night battle in uh, the fortress known as Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep is where all of the women and children went when uh, the country of Rohan was under attack, when evil was relentlessly attacking uh, the the area of Rohan, and so they had to escape and. Uh, to a fortress known as Helm's Deep. It was like the last line of defense against evil and death. And King Theoden leads his army all night long through rain and through attack with uh, the, the orcs coming at them relentlessly with advanced technology and with hate and with weapons and with those like ladders coming up and all night long. And eventually King Theoden just looks out at all of the death all around him and before him, and he's just like, so much death. You know, what can one do against relentless hate? And then as the sun rises, all of a sudden, they look over the horizon and they see at the top of the mountain, at the crest of the mountain, a hero emerge, and it's Gandalf. It's the risen Gandalf, actually, Gandalf the White. And he's with the riders of Rohan, and the cavalry that has come in. And the riders of Rohan follow Gandalf down the mountain, 
and they attack all of the orcs from the rear. And that gives hope to King Theoden, who's been fighting all night long and needs that morale boost. And King Theoden and his armies attack from the front, and together they defeat evil. Together they defeat death and hate. And the tide turns. The whole story, the whole epic of the Lord of the Rings turns on the Battle of Helm's Deep. Now, how many of us have been in King Theoden's spot? where there's, there's like suffering all around us, there's death all around us, there's injustice all around us, and we're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting, we're doing everything that we can. And eventually we're just like, so much death, so much hate. What can one do in the face of all of this, in this world of injustice and sin and death? Like, when is the hero going to appear over the horizon? Like, I'm doing my part, I'm doing everything I can, to support people, I'm doing everything I can to grieve well. I'm doing everything I can to, um, to fulfill my call. But when's the hero going to come in? When is, the, when is someone with more power, when's the cavalry going to ride in and make everything right and turn death into resurrection and turn, and turn um, injustice uh, into righteousness? And uh, the author of Hebrews is going to point us to the hero that we get. It's not necessarily the one we've been thinking of who's just going to instantly turn everything right, but it's the hero that we need. Um, There's an admission, a very honest admission in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 8, the very end of verse 8. Very honest admission about the situation that we are in. When when this preacher, this pastor says to, to, to us and to his suffering congregation, as it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, meaning Jesus. We don't see everything in our world subjected to him. This is one of the greatest challenges to our faith. Um, if God is powerful and if God is good, why doesn't he appear over the top of the mountain and ride down and defeat evil entirely and in an instant? Why doesn't he make everything right? Why doesn't God become the hero that we're all longing for, that we're all praying for? Why doesn't he just do it? And what the author of Hebrews says to that objection is, is surprising, and it's in verse 9. He says this, so we don't see him, everything subjected to him, but we do see him, we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor, don't miss this, because he suffered death. Now, what kind of a hero is that? So God's rescue comes. It does come. It does appear over the horizon. Um, but it appears in the form of someone who suffered death, and that's baked into his heroic status. That meant that our hero tasted death, and not just sampling it, but eating the whole meal of death for everyone. That was his heroic act on our behalf. That's God's central answer to the problem of evil. It's God's central answer to the threat of death. And this truth, as we're going to see in Hebrews 2, has the power to set us free from fear. It has the power to give us courage for the situations that we're in right now. It it actually gives us the resources we need not to be airlifted out of death, but to face it directly and to actually go through it ourselves. 
We don't see everything subjected to him yet, but we do see Jesus. We do see him crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So what does this mean? Let's unpack this. Is the pastor's going to take us deeper? What what does it look like to follow this particular hero who appears over the horizon in this particular way? And the first thing that he's going to point out is that when when we look to Jesus, our hero, we're going to see a trailblazer. We're going to see a trailblazer. Look with me at Hebrews 2, verse 10. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. God sent us a pioneer a trailblazer. The trail that he blazed was through the thick woods of suffering and that trail led into glory. So don't miss this, that there is a land of glory. There is a land of, uh, you know, never-ending sunlit beauty and light beyond our imagination. The path to that land is through the thick woods of suffering and the thick woods of death. And we would have gotten lost in those woods were it not for a trailblazer that made a path from where we are, where we need to get. Any hikers in the room? Love to hike? It's fun, isn't it? To hike through the mountains? To hike through the woods? To hike to go through the nature preserves? I love hiking. Um... But have you ever blazed a trail? Very different from hiking a trail, isn't it? Have you ever blazed a trail that didn't yet exist? Now, that's a different type of fun. We move from type A fun to type C fun. You're familiar. Because it's so painstaking. You have to cut your way through the vegetation. You, you've got to, like, you're going to get hit in the face with branches. You're going to, you're going to get cut up. With the vegetation, you're going to, and the other thing is, you don't know the way, or you have to find the way. You've got to have a compass in your hand, and you've got to navigate. You've got to do all of that prefrontal cortex work of finding your way to the right path, because there's no signs. Now, once the trail is made, others can follow in that trail. Now, what's the pastor of Hebrews showing us? He's saying that Jesus is blazing a trail through suffering into glory, and he's a pioneer. He's a pioneer for sons and daughters, all of whom will suffer and all of whom will die. So, you know, I kind of want sometimes a different type of hero. I want someone who's going to kind of airlift me out of those woods of suffering into glory without having to go through all of that. But that's not the kind of hero that God sent us. He's a trailblazer. Now, one of the most difficult things about hiking difficult terrain is this. When things get hard on the hike, we start to wonder, did I lose the trail? Have you ever had that thought? Wait a second, did I lose the trail? And if you lose the trail, it's, it's like a panic-inducing thing because you're like, all of this suffering might lead me into worse suffering. And I might not get to back to where I need to get. But what happens when, hey, the trail doesn't get any easier, but all you see is that little blue dot 
that shows you, yes, you're still on the trail. You see that little blue dot, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. That's enough to help you. It really does give encouragement, doesn't it? Now, uh, the same is true in life. When we're going through a difficult trial or when uh, someone in our life has died or someone in our life is about to die or we're facing our own fear of death, we start to wonder, did I lose the trail? Did I do something wrong? Um, is this all my fault? So is this leading anywhere? And now in moments like that, we've got to look to, to, to our trailblazer who has left us a series of, of markers. And we see that through him, we're still on the trail. And actually, our suffering is leading to those sunlit lands of glory, into God's future for us. And this trail is part of his path. Now, one of the ways that we, we can actually practice this is something that uh, Christians around the world do, not only you know, during Lent, but also throughout the year. And that is something called the, the Stations of the Cross. Now, you may think of the Stations of the Cross as something that Roman Catholics do, and they do do that, but Protestants do it as well. Um, simply, you, we can do it even by reading through the life of Jesus and the sufferings of Jesus. Here are things that we'll find along the path that Jesus trailblazed. We'll see him praying earnestly in the Garden of Gethsemane, begging his Father for a different way through into glory. We'll see him abandoned by friends in his hour of need. We'll see him condemned and stripped and falsely accused and scourged by hateful people. We'll see him carrying a cross. And while he's carrying a cross, he's actually able to speak words of passion to the women of Jerusalem. We'll see him die a criminal's death. We'll see him buried. We'll see him, we'll see him die. Now, these are like those little blue dots, okay? On the trail of suffering, we're like, hey, are you going through something excruciating? Have you lost friends? Um, are you experiencing physical pain? Is there a sense of, um, uh, you know, like you're begging God for a different way? You haven't lost the path. You're still on the path into glory. Watch for the blue dots. Jesus blazed a trail right through the worst conditions a human can experience into resurrection into life, into victory. So uh, we keep going on the trail because we have a trailblazer ahead of us. That's the very specific type of hero that we have received. And it was so fitting for God, for whom and through whom all things exist, that he would send us someone like that, someone who would lead sons and daughters to glory through suffering. So we see a trailblazer, but we also see a brother. And that's a different dimension of this hero God sent us, that, that he's a brother, a true brother. I'll never forget the best man uh, toast that was given at one of the first weddings that I officiated. And it was, it was the younger brother of the groom. He, he ended his speech. The part that I remember was, was when he was holding the microphone and he was ending his speech and he said, you know, John, you were never the kind of older brother that wanted to leave his younger brother behind. And as he said that, his voice caught. You know, it was like such a tender thing for him to say that. Um, there's something really special about a good older brother or a good older sister. They're relatable, you know, like we, you know, we have, we're growing up in the same home here. Um, but also they're a little bit ahead. 
and they, they can kind of show us the way and give us something to aspire to. You know, they're sharing the same parents, same family, same setting, um, but also they've got a little bit more strength than we have, and sometimes they use it to stick up for us or to give us some counsel or whatever else older brothers and sisters do, good or bad. Um, so listen, maybe you had a good older sibling, maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't have any siblings. Maybe the ones that you have or had fell short of what you hoped for. Let me tell you that if you've been united with Jesus Christ, he's the best, best brother you could ever ask for. Um, he's not the kind that would ever want to leave you behind. Hebrews tells us this in verse 11 of chapter 2. For the one who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and, the one who, the one, and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one Father, and that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So you look at it from the perspective of verse 11. You know, Jesus is shoulder to shoulder with, uh, with us looking up to the same father. Being like, we have the same, don't we? And, and you're my siblings. Um, like, Jesus knows what it's like to be one of us. He knows what it's like to, as it were, grow up in the household of this world. He knows what it's like to take on human flesh. He knows what it's like to experience physical pain and rejection and risk and loss and glory and hunger and joy. And he knows what it's like to pray to a father that he couldn't see with his physical eyes, but nevertheless believed was there. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to go through a trial. He knows what it's like to cry out for relief. And because he's our brother, he doesn't just walk ahead of us as a trailblazer. He did do that, but he also walks alongside of us and helps us through the path that he himself blazed. Because he's our brother, he shows us actually how to sing and pray in circumstances that we're going through. And case in point is verse 12. Um, the author of Hebrews quotes Jesus as saying this, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. This is a quote from Psalm 22, which is one of the most anguish-filled psalms. It begins by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? I'm poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. And listen, our brother, Jesus Christ, has prayed those words and can pray those words with you and me when we're going through our trial. He actually sings those words with us. Even this morning, we can imagine him standing next to us, shoulder to shoulder, like enduring the same cold that we're enduring, enduring the same trial that we're enduring, and crying out with all of the anguish and with all of the hope of Psalm 22. And why does he do that? It's because we're his brothers and sisters. And I love the next line, verse 13. Uh, again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. These are words from the Old Testament. Uh, you know, like the author of Hebrews can hear Jesus singing and praying these words. Here I am with the children God gave me. Jesus says that even this morning. Here I am with the children, the sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters from Emmanuel Anglican Church. So this is not an older brother who's ready to leave us behind. 
he's one that is glad to call us his own siblings. Now, biblical scholar Thomas Long drives this point home when he says this, when he says, you know, when the gaze of the eternal son of God looks out and he sees a criminal on death row, or he sees a woman who's freezing cold and is houseless and trying to make things work, you know, in in the best circumstances she's got, or when, you know, when the glorified son of God looks out at someone whose body is racked by cancer or, or a little child whose body is swollen from malnutrition, when the eternal son of God looks out and sees, um, you know, someone who's, who's absolutely battling addiction and who's, you know, whose arms are, are full of pockmarks from all of the needles, you know, he looks upon, he says, that's my brother. He says, that's my sister. Long says, you know, Jesus doesn't look upon our condition and just pluck his tongue and go, there but for the grace of God go I. He says, no, there because of the grace of God I am. That's the kind of brother we have. We don't yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see him. We see a hero. We see a trailblazer and we see a brother. And we do see, we do see a hero. He is a hero. I, when I was preparing for this sermon, I, I got some tragic news that um, a friend of mine lost one of her nephews who was in the prime of his life. Um, he was healthy. He brought joy to everyone around him. He was essential to the family business. And um, he just, he had a hiking accident in North Carolina. And I spoke with his, his, his aunt who was grieving and she was like, I just can't believe he's gone. I was just with him. I was just hanging out with him. I was just changing the sheets so that he could sleep in the bed in our home. And now he's gone and I can't believe it. And it struck me in that conversation that death is like an assailant. Death is like an assailant that comes in from the outside and takes people. You know, sometimes before their time or sometimes slowly over the course of time. You know, death is like one of those orcs from Helm's Deep that's just like trapping people in a fortress of terror and then taking their life. And again, we cry out, whether in this situation or, different, or other situations, we cry out, how long, O oh Lord? Like, how long until you make this right? Why don't you defeat death forever? Why don't you come in and rescue and the answer is in verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews, two, of Hebrews 2. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Our pioneer and our brother is also my friend. He's a hero. And one theologian says this, unlike others, Jesus did not encounter death as a slave, but as an assailant. He intruded into death's domain in order to overcome it. Isn't that good news? He went to death's domain and said, I'm going to shake your powers and I'm going to take people that you are holding in slavery, people who are alive, who are in fear of you, I'm going to free them and I'm going to take away the power of the devil. This week I heard the story of Foley. 
uh, a teenager from Ghana. Foley's not his real name. Um, it's a pseudonym given to protect his true identity. Here's his true story. Foley grew up with his grandfather. Uh, and he loved farming with his grandfather. He loved taking the produce to the farm, uh, uh, produce from the farm to the market with his grandfather. And for years, they worked side by side, working together, sleeping under the same roof, eating together, playing together. Now, when Foley was nine years old, um, he and his grandfather went to the market uh, in Ghana. And uh, in that trip, his grandfather was, was hit by a car. And badly, badly injured to the point where he could no longer take care of Foley. And so um, one, of the, uh, one of the fellow villagers came by um, who was, um, you know, somewhere in between like a relative, but maybe just a, a fellow adult in the village that said like, hey, I'll take care of Foley. I'll make sure that he gets to school. And so he took Foley under his, under his roof, um, tra- traveling some distance away from the grandfather. And splashed water on, on his face in the early morning and said, it's time to go to school. They drive, and instead of arriving to a school, they arrive, they arrive to Lake Volta, Lake Volta, which, uh, and then they, they got into a boat. And then once they were out onto Lake Volta, his, his uncle threw him in the water, didn't know how to swim, threw him in the water and said, you see what these other people are doing with their nets? You need to do that too. And all day long, Foley had to fish, had to take his net and fish um, and bring the fish into the boat. And he was in there all day through the night, very little to eat. And that continued day after day into weeks, into months, into years. Foley was trapped. His grandfather recovered, looked for him, couldn't find him. And Foley wanted to escape so badly. He wanted to escape on that very first day, but all he could do was pray prayers like this. God, when the waves crash on the boat, give me strength. God, when the net holds me in the water, give me breath. Keep me alive today. Um, after two years, um, Foley was out on the boat with, with his uncle. And there was a strange boat that appeared over the horizon. And his uncle said, Foley, get in the water. That's, those are the people who come for small boys. They're coming to take you. And Foley, for some reason, stayed put. He didn't get into the water. And his uncle was, was, was crying out to him, like, get in the water. These people are coming for you. They're going to hurt you. Jump in the water. And so by the grace of God, Foley stood fast. The boat got closer. And it turns out that this boat had people in it, it was, it was people from the local law enforcement in Ghana, as well as a team from International Justice Mission. And they had been looking for him, as they had been looking for other boys trapped in a similar circumstance. And they took Foley from slavery, and they reunited him with his grandfather, and they reunited him with his village. Um, and he's alive today, and he's studying, and he's, and he's healthy, and he's well. And what did Jesus Christ do for each one of us who were enslaved to sin and death, couldn't escape on our own? He died. Listen, he died, not as a slave, but as an assailant. He died in order to rescue us. He intruded death's domain when we were held in slavery, where we were held in slavery. 
and he destroyed the one, as verse 14 says, he destroyed the one who held the power of death, that is the devil, and freed those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Now, is there anyone here who knows what this is like? Do you know what it's like to be held in slavery to a particular fear that's always there, that never goes away? And maybe it's a fear of death, and maybe it's a fear of a certain sickness, or maybe it's a fear of people, or maybe it's a worst-case scenario that you want to avoid, or maybe it's a memory that you never want to, to relive, or maybe it's an enemy you never want to face. We can live our whole lives in slavery to a fear of death or to what feels like an equivalent of death. Now, if Jesus Christ came to deliver us from death, if he faced our greatest enemy, what can't he deliver us from, my friends? He wants to set you free from whatever fear is holding you in slavery. He's greater than that fear. He's our hero. His power is greater. His love is greater. Along with Theoden, we say, so much death. What can man do? What can, what can woman do against such reckless hate? When will God come to the rescue? We don't see everything subject to him, not yet, but we do see him, my friends. We do see him, a very particular hero, the hero that we need, our, our trailblazer, our brother, and the one who sets us free, our hero who sets us free from death and the fear of death. So my friends, let's turn to him together. Let's see him together. And let's follow him into the freedom that he has for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as we follow Jesus, the pioneer of our salvation, through forests of suffering, we want to throw off everything that hinders us in this, that weighs us down on the trail. One of the things that weighs us down is our sin. Sometimes sin even causes us to reject the leadership of Jesus, and go our own way. But through confession, the grace of the Lord calling us into his presence, we can acknowledge this. Confess our sin in great confidence that Jesus, who does not leave us behind, forgives us and restores us. And so here, in the presence of Almighty God, let us sit or kneel in silence, and with penitent and obedient hearts, confess our sins that we may obtain forgiveness by his infinite goodness and mercy.